So, Patty, great episode today. Uh, VJ from NMI, a returning guest that uh, gives us some really insightful information. Really cool stuff. I mean, everything that they're doing right now in terms of opening up new market opportunities, you know, new verticals. Yes. Um, really good stuff. I was, I was really particularly interested in the in the MasterCard. You touched on it in an earlier uh, Insiders Report, and then mm -hmm. here we have the guy that's actually doing the integration. So I thought that was great. And then tell us about the Insiders Report. Uh, it's another update on Interchange. Uh, as, I, as I have referred to it in the green sheet, uh, Interchange on the hot seat. Uh, <laughs> we, I won't tell anybody anymore. Stick around and listen to that section. Yeah, let's just say Interchange is, uh, you know, Visa and MasterCard are walking on thin ice right now with a certain U.S. Senator. So let's yes, talk about that. Going into the questions from the field, um, talk about the one call close, the holy grail. Every salesperson's like, oh, I wish I could do the one call close. I know a lot of top producers that are doing it. Today I talk about when should you do the one call close and when should you not and how to develop that one call close process. It's going to be a great show. Let's go, James. Welcome to the Merchant Sales Podcast. All right, everybody. Patty and I are here today with the CEO of NMI, VJ Sandy. How are you doing today, VJ? I'm doing great. Awesome. Good. So uh, we're always seeing NMI in the news, you know, always doing exciting things. Uh, I'm, a, I'm a big NMI fan. We've integrated NMI into our software at our company. Uh, and so I'm a big fan. Um, and so I'm excited today to talk about some of these acquisitions. Um, we saw a credit call and USA ePay are kind of the most recent ones that we've seen. Um, can you bring us up to speed a little bit? Talk about these acquisitions and, and the direction that NMI is going and how these acquisitions fit into that. Sure. First of all, thanks for having us on the show. And we are huge fans of the green sheet. We read it uh, the minute it comes out and we love those page turning um, sounds when we look at it online, because obviously it's no paper. I, I, I love the sounds too, I have to tell you. <laughs> um, and it's great to be reunited uh, with Patty uh, as well. Uh, we did a podcast a couple of years ago. So um, I will talk about the two acquisitions that you mentioned. Uh, Credit Call, uh, a company that had been based in the UK in a town called Bristol uh, in the west part of England, and they had been experts in building card present gateways and L2, L3 um, certification engines, as well as kernels, EMV kernels that go into devices. And um, the reason why we were so attracted to Credit Call was that NMI had the number one card not present white labeled gateway, I would say, out there. And we weren't as good on the EMV side. And we all knew that Omnichannel is the holy grail for merchants. So putting together the number one white labeled card present gateway to take 60 plus EMV devices, every Ingenico, Verifone, um, you can, you know, BB pause, you just keep naming it. Um, and together with what NMI had, which is over 200 processor connections and a leading white labeled CNP gave us unified commerce enablement. That's how we rebranded. And that's why we came together with that company. Cool. Cool. Well, you know, you mentioned something there that's been kind of in my back of my mind, trying to wonder, wondering what it all means. And, you know, that's the EMV piece and these EM, this idea of an EMV kernel provider. Uh, can you explain exactly what that is and, and the role it plays in supporting contactless payments? You know, why we sure. should even care about it? Yeah, you know, it's interesting. Obviously, EMV um, stands for Europay MasterCard Visa, I believe, which right. is an ancient, <laughs> ancient, ancient. acronym. Right. right. 
Uh, how many years old is it? Do you, any of you guys know? Oh, at least 20. And it's probably more than that. But I remember it was interesting because it wasn't long after the standard came out that Europay was acquired by MasterCard, I believe, right? And so it's like, I've always wondered, why do they keep that E in there? But um, I guess, yeah. but it's at least, I would say uh, it dates back probably to the late 90s, at least in my, from my uh, recollection. Yeah, that, that was my guess too. So I, the reason why I asked the question on the date is because it's in Europe or in Canada or Australia, EMV is old, old, old news. They've had right. chip cards for 20 years. Correct. And they have been dealing with the notion of a cryptogram, um, you know, just going into the, the no, uh, into the basis of what is EMV. It's having a chip with a CPU and some data on it on the mm -hmm. physical credit card. And uh, one of the reasons why EMV was more advanced in the United States was not because uh, uh, Americans were slow to technology adoption. It's because Europe had better telecommunications. Sorry, the United States had better telecommunications right. than Europe. Right, they had nationalized telecom, and it was too expensive to do real-time authorization. Correct. So they had to cash some of the transaction on the card, and that's why they invented the chip. Mm -hmm. And once you start to cash data on a card, you need very um, good security. And then later, we had fraud in the United States, or more fraud. So we needed um, we needed that technology. Now, what we are experts are, and this is why it's so important to have L2 kernel expertise, is we know how to build the code according to the EMV ISO spec. Okay. Into a device and to create the cryptogram and to decrypt it and to send it to MasterCard or Visa or Amex um, to get the keys. And I'll um, tell you in a second, um, if that makes sense, why it's so important now in 2021 going forward. And so what you're saying then is that just so I can make sure that we all are on the same page here is the kernel is actually the cryptographic uh, code that's on the device itself that communicates with the card. Is that what you're saying? Yeah, it's uh, it's very close. The kernel is the piece of software that's physically on the point of sale credit card reader on the reader um, gotcha. that okay. has the ability in a secure enclave that can never be tampered gotcha. um, to read the card, get the cryptogram off the EMV card, mm -hmm. and then send it uh, in a secure way to Visa or MasterCard who have the private keys and decrypt it and send it back. So okay. it's a piece of software and the firmware on the device. Okay, cool. Now, the reason why that's so important, because now we're entering into a new era. We are actually entering into an era where any Android phone can very easily become a payment acceptance device. And we're going right. to go from kernel and hardware mm -hmm. to kernel in the cloud. And we are already oh. doing this at NMI with MasterCard and Global Payments in the United States. Mm -hmm. Other providers are doing it in Malaysia, in Europe, in Canada. And you can do this where you don't need to have the kernel on a piece of hardware. Okay, gotcha. Okay, that's really important. And it still has the same security protocol, even though it's in the cloud. That is right. And so what happens now is imagine a world where you are uh, somebody at a farmer's market and mm -hmm. you want to take payments. And right now it's COVID. No one wants to touch anything. There's no cash. Everyone has an Apple Pay or a contactless right. card in their wallet. Right. Now you have to sign up for Square. Now you're stuck with Square. Square is a great solution, but maybe you want to process with another provider where you have better pricing for where you live and you don't want to get that little plastic dongle and pair it to Bluetooth, guess what? Go to the app store, download an app, and you will instantly turn an Android phone. The NFC antenna will become the payment acceptance device and you're taking payments. That actually brings me to something because we reported, I reported on this on a podcast maybe about a month or two ago about how NMI is working with MasterCard on this tap to tap to phone solution. I think that's what you're referring to here, right? Um, 
Can you give it, you know, I'd love, love it if you could give our, listen, our listeners a little bit of a, of, of, of a briefing on what that means um, for extending your reach, as you said, to farmer's markets, but that's not the only place. Maybe if you could just give us an idea of uh, what, how tap to phone works and what you're doing with MasterCard and Global. Yeah, absolutely. So um, what's fascinating about the, the tap to phone uh, technology that we um, we did a proof of concept together with MasterCard, we did a press release on it in January and, and right. Global Payments was the processor, is that um, we have the ability at NMI because we are a payment gateway and we connect to over 200 different processors to let you pick your processor and not be beholden to whichever processor the bundled solution, be it PayPal Square or iZettle in Europe. Mm -hmm. uh, so suddenly we're giving you choice and we're giving you flexibility. Mm -hmm. um, and so I think what's really interesting in disruptive technology waves, um, do you guys remember when you had your first camera phone, um, Patty, James, when was the first time you had a camera phone? Oh, I remember. Yeah, I'm trying to think. It was probably 20, uh, you know, 2008. I was a little bit later than most people I knew. So it was probably 2008, 2009. About uh, yeah, because before that, I was a big camera person. So I always had my 35 millimeter with me. And then one day somebody's like, you know, you don't need to carry that thing all the time. <laughs> well, and and yeah. so my and my point is those cameras were really rudimentary and they were sure. really for very basic photos and they didn't right. threaten the SLR market. Well, in payments, we're probably going to see something similar. Right now, the use cases for the micro merchant, the massage therapist, the lawnmower, the garage door installer, right. uh, who doesn't want the little dongle. But over time, uh, my prediction is that we will start to see that technology, just like the new iPhone 12. My wife just got one. The pictures are incredible. I mean, she would never buy an SLR. And she was a professional photographer. That was her living. Right. And she wouldn't use an SLR. So I think a tip of the iceberg is we did a little proof of concept and we say farmer's market, but um, we can envisage a world where you might have that same technology. Maybe it's an Android phone in a chip that is embedded into the checkout uh, counter at your big box retailer. Mm, okay. And you won't need an EMV kernel because the kernel will be in the cloud. And again, you will be able to choose your processor. And people like NMI are selling that middleware tech stack to enable it. Today, it's at the long tail. I predict it will start to become much more prevalent in the uh, main markets. And, and particularly for micro merchants, but that would all only be the starting point is what you're saying, right? I mean, I could envision, you know, I've been to um, to markets where, uh, you know, uh, boutique restaurants or grocers will send somebody to the market, right, on a Saturday. Well, they already have their own processor at their home base. So this would enable them to send their, their people out to the farmer's market or the food market or whatever, the open air market. And and basically use as an extension of the, of the physical POS. Absolutely. And imagine you can do that with um, maybe uh, gig economy workers mm -hmm. who um, you don't want to give them a $50 or $100 or $200 POS reader. They don't even work for you. They may not work for you next right. week. Right. And so, um, you know, today it only works on Android. That's why I keep mentioning that because Apple does lock down uh, the right. wallet and the secure element on the phone. Mm -hmm. um, but you probably saw, I think you reported on the green sheet that uh, Apple bought a company in Canada called MobiWave. Right. Uh, that has a similar technology to NMI of kernel in the cloud. Mm -hmm. um, maybe we'll see it on iPhones very soon, too. Um, but you've actually hit the absolutely hit the nail on the head. You can start to extend payment acceptance in a ubiquitous manner. I used to work at uh, Visa, and one of the 
inhibitors of growth of our network was we had way more cardholders than merchant acceptance points. That's increased over the years. And with this, removing hardware from the equation, we've just lowered the barrier for anyone to become a merchant acceptor. Well, I, I think another really important part of that, VJ, is the ISVs that, you know, as this technology expands, you know, the opportunities for them is, um, is unbelievable because, you know, one of their big barriers is these ISVs are trying to get their technology to small business owners is that, well, if you want our technology, you're going to have to throw away your Clover device and you're going to have to use this. Whereas with this, it's saying you don't need any of that anymore, just your smartphones. Um, I just talked to one the other day that's doing this with restaurants already. Now, again, they have to have the dongle and everything. So it's it, the inconvenience factor. But, you know, it's just, hey, just use your, you know, your servers, just use their phone, you know. Um, and so, yeah, I agree. I think it's going to be very interesting. Are you already seeing that where a lot of ISVs are reaching out and kind of asking about this and how to incorporate it? Yeah, we are. Um, uh, I'll give an example. Uh, I can't name the, 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 the partner of ours, but we have a partner that is in the field service uh, area and they actually provide software for, for scheduling um, and billing as well as like Yelp reviews and what they call reputation management for field service workers. And they specialize in plumbers, electricians, uh, garage door installers. Guess what? That industry is booming in COVID. All of us are working from home mm -hmm. and we're fixing our garage doors and we're getting new plumbing put in and right. new uh, you know, electrical connections. And they have a terrible time managing hardware devices, basically remote key injections in secure cages and delivering to that plumber who, again, may be a gig economy worker. And they are salivating at the notion that we could give them uh, um, an SDK or some APIs they could call, and they could embed that into their, let's say, plumber app. Right. And they could just download it to the plumber, turn it on, turn it off when the person's working for them, and boom, they're ready to go. Now, one of the inhibitors to this technology until COVID was not every consumer had a contactless device on them. Right. And so as long as people still need to dip or swipe because the card itself is not contactless or the consumer doesn't have Apple Pay or Android Pay, we were like, ah, you know, for that edge case. Right. But I'd like to ask you both, when was the last time you paid with a card versus a, a contactless card, let's say a dip or a tap? Uh, how, how would you split your purchases? Mine are 100% uh, contactless. So Yeah, I, I'm not 100%, but I'm pretty close. I actually only have one card that's contactless, you know, that, that, that that's, you know, can affect that. And so that's the card I'm using almost, you know, whenever possible um, because of that very reason. I don't want to have to dip my card in, you know, and I also think it's kind of cool to go, you know, tap. I'm done. I'm out of here. <laughs> yeah, I got this. I got this really funny experience. I was at Starbucks this morning before doing this uh, podcast with you guys. And um, I have my face mask on and I have an iPhone and it turns out that uh, face ID doesn't work with the face mask. Right. I'm sure you guys all know that, right. but I have an Apple watch right here on my wrist. And when I double click the bottom button, my chase card shows up and yep. it doesn't need the face because it's, um, it's uh, on my strap. So I'm authenticated. And right. so I just use this and I do feel a little bit like for older people on the podcast, Dick Tracy, um, uh -huh. or I feel like, <laughs> uh-huh. It, it's it's funny you say that, that there was a guy in front of me. I was like at this little country store the other day, which I go to because I can use my contactless card. And there was a guy in front of me. He was a lot younger than me. And he did the thing with his watch. And I went, oh, Dick Tracy. And he kind of looked at me askew. You know? <laughs> it was when, like, when I do it with my daughter, she's like, dad, stop flexing and bragging about that. You got the, <laughs> oh, well, look, I work in the industry, honey. 
<laughs> right, right. Yeah. Well, uh, it's so interesting. So let, let's do this, BJ. Let's transition a little bit because I know we also want to talk about the USA ePay, uh, which is kind of the most recent acquisition. So let's talk about that a little bit. So we already alluded to it earlier. Um, USA ePay has built this really big book of card present. Of course, NMI uh, has a huge book of card not present. So talk to us about that a little bit. Talk about omni-channel. When ISOs and agents are looking at this acquisition, you know, and I, it's funny, I got probably three or four emails before this podcast saying, what do you think about the NMI ePay acquisition, right? So let's answer that question for our audience. Why did you make this acquisition? And how important is omni-channel moving forward, do you think, for ISOs and agents that are out there trying to sign merchants? Sure. So there's a couple of reasons why uh, we came together with USA ePay. Uh, one of them has to do with omni-channel that you alluded to. USA ePay had more of a balanced portfolio um, of uh, a card present and card not present, whereas NMI was uh, very heavily skewed to e-commerce only. Now, um, you know, during COVID, what has happened is the notion of omni-channel has, I would say, flipped on its head. We used to pre-COVID think of uh, omni-channel, there was a sun in the solar system, if you will, and that was retail spend, card present. And, and e-commerce was at the edge of, edge. The, of the card right. present, right? The solar system revolved around card present. What happened was we weren't allowed to go to stores anymore because of lockdown. So now everything, the sun, the solar system was, a, was, a, was an e-commerce sun. And now you would go to the store to do pickup, but you actually paid for it at home. It was called buy online, pick up at store right, right. or pick up at the curbside. Um, and so the, that thing got flipped. And when that thing got flipped, we saw that we needed more expertise to deal with the folks that were going to be at the store when the recovery came back. Um, and that strength of us being you know, bigger in e-com and them being more balanced was a great way to fortify our omni-channel. They, they were more advanced in cloud-based connectivity um, for point-of-sale terminals and, and, and support. Um, because they had more exposure to that. They had a better, um, what we call swipe app, which is an app to uh, take a transaction uh, on a phone um, and key enter it. So the first one was omni-channel, fortify our position. The second reason for the acquisition was scale. And you guys have been writing a lot about the mega mergers that have mm -hmm. been going on. Mm -hmm. Well, even at the lower end, we are a very small company. You know, we're about 300 people. USA ePay was about 100. We were about 200. Um, we don't want to become 200,000 person company because that'll make us uh, maybe slower and not as nimble and as agile. But we need to be a little bigger than we are so we can consolidate resources because the game is moving faster. The clock speed of innovation is ticking at a much higher pace than before. So we need more resources to be, be able to deliver things like omni-channel and tap on phone. And, and, and just to kind of reiterate the second part of that question, when we're talking to ISOs and agents that are out there, you know, they're talking to merchants on a daily basis. How important do you think it is for them to start transitioning their mindset to talk more about omni-channel rather than just, you know, again, whether it's physical location or whatever. I mean, are you seeing that shift with ISOs that you work with that they're, you know, because as you know, I mean, it seems so obvious, right? Like I, I'm saying this in the podcast and it sounds ridiculous. Like obviously it's really important, but they haven't really made the shift in a lot of cases. So are you seeing that a lot from ISOs that they're finally now making the shift and talking about omni-channel? Yeah, it's, it's such a great point. When we bought Credit Call a few years ago and we came out with our first omni-channel product uh, uh, and, and we rebranded our entire company's Unified Commerce Enablement, um, many of our, our ISO partners who were e-commerce only said, oh, well, we don't need that. And we said, hey, we now have the ability for you to take transactions with one token store and one integration on Ingenico and Verifone terminals. And well, we don't need that. 
And, and I said, well, really, are you sure? And then somebody would call back and say, you know, so-and-so, one of our merchants is doing a pop-up store in a mall. Mm -hmm. This is before the lockdowns. Can we get that terminal? Because we actually need to take some card present transactions. I love this one in Ohio. We had a horse vet and the horse vet said, oh no, we have everybody prepay before they show up with their horse. Yeah. Right. And then we told them, we, we told our partner, we said, well, wait a minute, you can now take it when they show up with the horse with a card, if you like. And they came back and they said, you know, now that we told people they can pay, they don't have to rush home, make the payment, or we trust that they'll pay afterwards. Because half the time the horse is sick and they're not thinking about going to a web page and typing in their 16-digit PAN number. So we saw the skepticism and the reality was the uptake uh, started to happen. Having said that, the omnichannel take up with our ISO base has been much slower than I would have expected until the COVID lockdowns hit. And then people Mm -hmm. said, we need QR codes. We got to do buy online, pick up at store. And they may have the card on them for an add-on. So it's accelerated. Right, right. Let me, if you don't mind, I'd love to circle back just for a moment to the credit call um, acquisition. Um, They, my understanding is they were very big. They are very big in the unattended world, you know, parking lots, transit, ticketing, you know, those vending, I'm wondering, do you see opportunities for U.S. ISOs and agents, you know, to grow their portfolios in these in these niche, you know, client client verticals? Yeah, it's a great question, uh, Patty. Um, so unattended, uh, it's kind of a weird nomenclature. I think unattended comes from like the Visa Mastercard rulebook. It's like a, it's like a type of transaction. Right. Um, but really, what it means is there's no human being at that point of sale. Right. And uh, again, so much of our consumer behavior in the last 12 months has changed where we want to have more experiences where, um, you know, we're able to interact at the payment, uh, you know, without having to hand our card to a clerk or touch right. the cash. Right. And so now let's go through why unattended is, um, I think, for our ISO partners, really important. Um, you've got ticketing, transit and vending. And um, uh, so, sorry, parking uh, ticketing, which is part of transit and vending. Now we had an ISO that did um, these LA County fair type uh, of events. And this is before the lockdown. Mm -hmm. And they said, man, if we could have a kiosk at the LA County fair and people could just buy the ticket coming and going, that would be huge for our partner. Can we please have that uh, solution? Mm-hmm. So that's one example. The other one is in Sweden, uh, you know, Scandinavia is very contactless oriented. We had um, somebody that created a store in, in an Amazon Go-like fashion. You come in, you scan a QR code at the turnstile, you pick stuff off the shelves, and there's little sensors like in those Las Vegas mini bars, <laughs> and uh, you leave the store with all your stuff. That's a vending machine on steroids. Yeah, that's yeah. something that that um, some of our ISOs that sell to gyms want for Gatorade or an extra towel or you know some 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 type of hand cream. So yes, ISO partners should be embracing it. We're trying to do more education. Um, it's a little new for them, but some of them are, are are embracing it in a big way. The last one is charity: churches, synagogues, and let's say hospitals mm-hmm. raising money. We did this in the United Kingdom. We brought it to the U.S. You put a kiosk. And you just tap your phone or your card, $1, $5, $20 donation. We put the kiosk in the church. Donations went up by 25% in the first wow. day by wow. 200% within a week. Wow. Yeah, it's, it's interesting you say that. My brother-in-law is a pastor. And, you know, churches saw obviously a huge change with COVID as well because, you know, people couldn't come to church. But, you know, many of the faithful 
parishioners still wanted to make donations. And so they were all scrambling, like we got to be able to take donations online. And, you know, so now I think as, as people are coming back uh, to church in some states, then it's like, okay, we want that kiosk where they can either make the payment there or, and, or they can sign up for auto pay or whatever it might be. So yeah, it's been yeah. very interesting to it, it's been interesting to me to kind of see all these trends that we knew were going to happen over the next five years anyway. But it's like they all happen over like a month, right? <laughs> you know? wow. Super super speed. Yeah, yeah. yeah. I, what I find funny about these things is when we really dissect our lives pre digitization of commerce, it's kind of the same thing. You used to have the box at the church where you put the dollar bill or the quarters in it. Right. All we're doing is just replacing that box with a little mail slot in it, um, right? With a contactless reader in it, right? right? That has the ability to take a contactless payment. And we added a button. We worked with a European company called Pater. Uh, I think they're out of Holland. And there's a little button on it. And it just says, you know, we did in the UK, one pound, five pound, 20 pound. It's a 24 uh, by seven kiosk that's in train stations and town squares for the children's hospital. It turns out that this is a funny story. In the UK, we have, you know, a lot of people come out of the pub you know, maybe 11 p.m. and they maybe they had, you know, a couple of beers because it's Friday night. They're in a really gift giving mood. So we started to see <laughs> 11 p.m. to midnight, a surge of the highest tier of donations for the children's hospital. On the way home, feeling guilty. Let's just tap the phone. and <laughs> <laughs> That's, great. That's, great. That's really cool. Yeah, I think that I think there's remarkable opportunities here in the U.S. for these types of transactions. And you brought up the gyms. That's one of the first things I go to. Um, the church is an interesting one. I, I grew up in a in a Catholic uh, community, and I always remember the the baskets coming across, you know, yeah. and. Yeah. Right. And yeah. I was just I was just thinking, visualizing when you were saying that, because it was always like a handle. I was visualizing a little, you know, a little device in the basket and everybody taking out their card and hitting it. And it goes down. <laughs> well, you know, it's such a great example because we actually now you've just given us an idea. Um, we have a company up in Toronto. Canada that asked us to make um, a, a level two kernel, that would be this EMV acceptance uh, mm -hmm. device in a piece of plastic. I think the company, it has the word tip in it, but it's for valets at the at the hotel room door when you open the door, uh -huh. uh, not hotel room door, the taxi, or, right. or, you know, the person that picks up your suitcase. And right. they have this idea to have a little small device that they just will hand out. And again, it'll just be a $1, $2, $5. You just press a button and then you tap your card. And we, we, we have that customer uh, because they want to come up with a specific device. They could actually put that in the basket that you experienced uh, uh, there, Patty. Yeah, right. <laughs> That's what I was thinking when you were saying that. That would be a perfect example. And nobody has to touch anything, right? I, uh, so, well, Vijay, this has been so enlightening. And and I uh, I did want to just real quickly ask you, because I know you and I spoke a couple of weeks ago when I was doing a piece for the Green Sheet. And I know that you were uh, talking about at that time about MMI's uh, Gateway Partner Program. Uh, could you just briefly give us a little little high level explanation about that and 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 why ISOs uh, MLSs should care about it? Yeah, so you know we um, we basically have um, uh, enablement in our DNA, and every time we always say enable because we are not a company that is monetizing payments. Mm -hmm. uh, we don't issue merchant accounts. Uh, we are uh, in the what I call bring your own mid. If you think of the BYOB, you come to the party with your own, uh, you know, booze your or beer bottle, or whatever right? that is. Yeah. Um, we we are the bring your own mid uh, uh, player. Um, and so the gateway partners, one of the great things they can do signing up with us is there's actually no cost to sign up. 
Uh, it's actually a very simple way of doing that. Um, and, you know, you just go to our website and, you know, we, we, we can contact you if you're interested, but it gives you a lot of flexibility because now you can sign up with multiple processors and acquirers and you can bring your own mid and start to spread your volume across uh, multiple processors. And the beauty of that uh, gateway program is that we give you the entire omni-channel stack that we just described. Right. So if you sign up for us, one integration and one console where you can brand it to make it look like yourself um, gives you, you know, uh, a myriad of EMV devices. It gives you the tap on phone stuff we just talked about. You get the kiosk for the church. And of course, you get the gateway connectivity. Right. Um, the other thing is we are a company that we like to joke internally. We're the most important payments company that you've never heard of <laughs> by design because we right. want to be behind the scenes. So if you want to sign up for our program as an ISO um, or, or even an ISV or a value-added reseller, um, we don't we disappear. Our URLs are things like you know network.processing.com. We don't have the word NMI anywhere. Uh, we have built it from day one so that it's your business and your logo up front. And uh, we don't have to be known to anyone other than the people that read the green sheet. Great. That's awesome. Yeah, I, I love it. And again, I, I started the podcast off saying this, but um, we've had a lot of success work with NMI at our company. Um, you know, it's interesting, VJ, because I remember, I don't know what how long ago it was, where I saw Stripe for the first time. <clears throat> And, you know, I'm a, my background is as a developer and then also as a salesperson. So I kind of had both of these sides. And, you know, I remember the first integration I did with Stripe and I thought, nobody in our industry is ever going to figure this out because <laughs> it's so easy. But then we actually did some integrations with NMI then a few years after. And I was like, all right, somebody got it, you know? So I love it. Great integrations. Um, a lot of times I talk to salespeople and ISO specifically that have gotten all of their merchants locked in to a gateway that is not processor agnostic. And sometimes that causes some, some issues. So I think that's great. Can you share with everybody, you just uh, mentioned the website already, I think, but where would you send people if you, they want to learn more about partnering with NMI? Sure. Um, literally just go to NMI.com. Um, and uh, there, uh, there are it, it, yeah, our emails, our phone numbers. People can also reach out to me directly on Twitter or on LinkedIn. Um, and I can point you in the right direction. I do just want to point out, we're not the only people that are processor agnostic. I mean, Stripe, of sure. course, as you mentioned, is great for a quick integration. But once you want choice, flexibility, and modularity, um, you, you come to people like us. We believe that there's a community here with, within the Green Sheets you know, reader base. And we just want to help the community. Whether you come to us or someone else, we'll also help you um, tell you what your options are. It may be better for you to go to Stripe if you're just you know, uh, a guy and a gal in a, with, a, with a dog in a garage on a laptop. Um, and so we really believe in let's make the community more educated. We'd like to be your provider. But if not, we will also point you in the right direction. Well, that's great stuff. Thank you, VJ. That was really, really enlightening. Thank you. Well, thanks so much for having us on the podcast. I know we did it two years ago. Uh, I'd love to come on more often. And uh, thank you for also educating the community through the green sheet, through the podcast, through uh, the pages in, in your in your online magazine. Now, I guess I would call it. We really appreciate it. And we love being part of this community. We think this is the most fun industry to be in and it's growing. And we are very fortunate in a time um, where many people are losing their job that we are able to help merchants keep the economy going. Well, uh, I think uh, James and I agree that... Uh... We all love what we do. Absolutely. Well, thanks again, BJ. Thanks for your time. Great stuff. Great Take stuff, care. man. Be well. Well, everybody, we'd like to give a shout out right now to our sponsor, Valor Atec. Uh, James, you know, we've you and I have seen a few of these uh, demonstrations now. Yeah. And I think one of the things that really 
really um, resonates with me is the simplicity of of what Valor is offering. I mean, it's a yeah. it's a it's a POS terminal and a cash discounting platform, right? I mean, right. Right. that's pretty unique. It is. Yeah. It is. And I mean, it's card not present as well. So it's kind of all it's the gateway. It's everything is kind of rolled in. And I, to your point, I think a lot of these omni-channel solutions feel like they're kind of pieced together in a, in mm-hmm. a haphazard way, which right. a lot of times they are through acquisition and stuff. Sure. Whereas in, in Valor Paytech's case, everything works smoothly. Uh, the whole omni-channel experience, physical terminal, gateway, cash discounting, it all just works. And it, you know, and it was built from the ground up as an all-encompassing type of gateway terminal platform. And you know, some of the stuff that I thought is is really clear, cool that we should emphasize is that it's uh, fully compliant with you know the cash discounting re- disclosure requirements, uh, cash discounting on tips, which I think is yes. a real a real savior to restaurant staffs in in these days right. in this day and age. Um, and it's easy to remove the non-cash adjustments without having to go back and and uh, reinitiate the transaction. Just push a button, wave the fee, and wave the fee. So uh, yeah, I like it. Well, for those of our listeners that have still not gotten your free Valor demo, or maybe you've gotten one, you want to reach out again, go to ccsalespro.com slash Valor. That's V-A-L-O-R, ccsalespro.com slash Valor. If you're enjoying the podcast, if you get value from our content, we would love for you to take a look at our sponsor, Valor Paytech, and uh, you know, send us a message. Let us know what you think. Yeah, let's do it. This is Questions from the Field, brought to you by ccsalespro.com the leader in merchant sales training and technology. If you're an individual merchant sales professional, visit ccsalespro.com forward slash training to get a free 14-day trial of our all-access pass. If you manage a team of merchant sales professionals, visit ccsalespro.com forward slash ISO to learn how we can help you grow. And now, here is Questions from the Field with James Shepard. So, Patty, today I want to talk about the one-call close and when you should use the one-call close and when you should not use the one-call close. Okay. So, this actually came from an agent uh, I had uh, in our six-week Jumpstart program. We had our first coaching call yesterday, and she was talking to me about her situation. And so, she has uh, an ISO, and they are primarily offering Clover, and they're primarily pushing cash discounting using the Clover Flex and things of this nature. And so mm-hmm. her, she was talking to me and, and she was asking what kind of approach she should use. So I was walking her through the approach I would use, which was in this case, it was a, a two to three call approach where okay. she would talk about doing a free demo. When they agreed to it, she would either do it right then or scheduled to come back later. Mm-hmm. And she said, well, my manager is really wanting us to do, you know, this one call close where, I mean, if we don't make the sale when we're there, we should just forget about it. Huh. Um, and so I proceeded to tell her I thought that was a really bad idea. Yeah, that doesn't sound like the best idea to me. So let me talk about the one call close for a second and just give you a couple of qualifiers of when should you use the one call close. In other words, good idea. Did you try to close the sale on the very first visit? Okay. Mm -hmm. There are really two primary qualifying factors, and that is uh, simplicity of what you're selling. Right. And number two is sales experience. Okay. If okay. you have a lot of sales experience and you're selling something that is pretty simple. So 
cash discounting could be certainly a good example if you're selling it to a smaller merchant where the pitch is, I'm going to eliminate your processing fees and I'm going to give you a free terminal to do that. Right. Um, right. So in this case, um, you know, I talked to her and, you know, to her, the benefit, you know, kudos to her. I, so they are giving that Clover Flex away for free when they do cash discount. Okay. Um, so that does make it definitely easier. I mean, it's possible to do the one call close there. So I think the simplicity was there, but I told her, I said, your problem is she is new to sales. Um, and so she does not have very much sales experience. And okay. I said, for me to tell you, yeah, try to do a one call close all the time. That is going to be really bad advice because frankly, you're not going to pull it off. And you're going to, and you're going to get disappointed and leave. Yes. And I said, right. you know, and I, and I, I told, you know, and it's funny, like people always, I think get a kick out of doing coaching with me because I just never sugarcoat anything. I'm just very transparent. And I said, you know, I said, the bottom line is you're not good enough to do it. So, right. Right. I maybe, you, maybe if you've been selling for 10, 15 years, you'd be good enough. I'm but. like, I can tell you what you want to hear, but it's not going to help you. You can't do this. So, um, so here's the thing. What I like to do is I like to design my sales approach so that I have very well-defined sales stages or steps along the process. Okay. And so I think the misconception people have is that somehow the one call close is this totally different thing. It's not, it actually is not like a one-step sales process. It's just that you figured out how to streamline the steps and uh -huh. you have to all happen on one visit. Right, okay. sure. So, you know, in her case, I said, okay, well, let's talk about it. I said, I'm, I'm not telling you to not do the one call close. I'm just saying you're probably not going to pull it off because if you go in and say, you know, if the, if the first step is make contact and the next step is get them to agree to a demo of your Clover Flex, well, there's nothing stopping you from doing it right now. But the thing is, the amount of sales ability and skill it's going to take to get them to agree to do it right now, you mm -hmm. probably don't have. So what's going to naturally occur is they're going to say, well, I'm busy right now. You're not going to know how to overcome that. And then you're going to schedule it for tomorrow or the next day. That's fine. Right. You know, right. That's okay. Uh, whereas a more skilled salesperson, they would have already thought through all the possible objections and off ramps and exits that could happen. They've closed all those exits. They have a streamlined process and they assume the sale and they're able to get to that next step, you know? Well, then once you do the demo, what comes next? Well, now you need to do a presentation of, you know, that specific value. So that, you know, sure. oh, you found out what they need. Now you're going to present to them exactly the right solution for them. Well, right. if you have a lot of experience, you're going to know what that solution is. If you sure. don't, you're going to say, I'll come back tomorrow. You're going to call your manager and say, what do I pitch? Right? Sure. So sure. there's all these kind of, you know, stops along the way. So what I would say is, again, the simpler the thing is that you're selling. If you say, I want to sell a full feature, I want to sell, you know, Zusa point of sale system to somebody that needs appointment scheduling. That is not a one call close. I don't care how good you are at sales. Yeah, if you yeah. do get a one call close, they're going to get cold feet and you're going to have a bad relationship there. Mm -hmm. That's too big of a decision to make in 15 or 20 minutes. Sure. Yeah. Several visits there. But if you're selling something really simple, especially a smaller merchant, traditional processing, maybe a simple tablet POS system or smart terminal, Yes, you can pull that off, but you know, again, the way to pull it off is not to try to come up with this special one call close strategy. It is what are the sales stages in the in the you know sales process, and then start to figure out how can I remove barriers that are causing me to delay between those stages and get them all to happen in twenty minutes. 
Right, right. So right. it's sales ability and skill. That is the variable that takes mm -hmm. a two to three call close and makes it a one call close. Sure. Right. So, you know, I would just caution, you know, especially sales managers, you know, be aware if you have somebody that's not very good at sales, the odds of them doing a one call close are going to be pretty minimal. Um, mm -hmm. and, and so don't discourage it. Obviously, it's great when it happens, but just give them a sales process and say the goal is to have this all happen on one visit. But we recognize that may not happen initially. It may take two or three visits and that's okay. And and encourage people along those lines, then start to work with them to break down those barriers, close those exit ramps so that they can eventually get to the one call close. Yeah, that's great stuff, James. Thanks. This is the Insider's Report with Patty Murphy, brought to you by The Green Sheet. For nearly 40 years, The Green Sheet has been the go-to source for news, analysis, and educational tools that empower and connect payments professionals. If you're not reading the Green Sheet already, check it out on the web today at www.greensheet.com. James, I wanted to uh, update everybody today on the latest in interchange. I know we spoke about this last week and the pending changes, and right. I believe we have an interview lined up pretty soon, um, you know, with some folks to go do a deep dive on that. Right. Um, but I thought it was worth reporting that uh, Senate um, Senator Dick Durbin, whose name is pretty much synonymous with debit card interchange regulation. Yeah. Um, and uh, as well as uh, Representative Peter Welch, who's a Democrat from Vermont, yeah. uh, recently sent a letter to both Visa letters to both Visa and MasterCard, urging them in the strongest terms not to go through with the April 1st increases. Right. Now, I just think it, I wanted to make a, a, a note here to everybody, you know, just sort of a, a mini civics lesson, shall we say, that Durbin um, is the chairman of the Senate Judiciary Committee, which is a pretty powerful committee. But he's also Senate Majority Whip, which means he's sort of like the traffic cop on the Senate floor. Um, if it, you know, if legislation's coming up to be, you know, he, he works with the Senate Majority Leader who's Chuck Schumer, to determine what legislation gets on the floor. And then he goes out and corrals all the votes. Right. So he's a pretty powerful guy in the Senate these days, much more powerful than he was when he wrote the Durbin Amendment. Yeah, and, um, and he's the kind of guy that if he decided that Visa and MasterCard needed to be further regulated, he could be, he's in the position to do that. <laughs> not the person that if you're Visa and MasterCard, you do not want Dick Durbin upset with you. You don't. And in fact, you know, I... Um, I didn't realize this until I started researching after I saw the letter that um, Durbin was one of the reasons that Visa and MasterCard put off, postponed the 2020 increases. Yes. Right. And he had written a letter, I forgot until I, you know, like I said, I forgot until recently that he had written a letter asking them to postpone and he was very thankful when they did, you know. Right. Uh, but, you know, now he's saying, uh, you know, he wants them to do it again. And, I want to uh, just read a few excerpts from this letter because I think it's really important for people to understand yeah. how passionate this guy seems to be. Um, he said uh, the your proposed fees fee increases would disproportionately affect online transactions at a time when more and more transactions are going online and more merchants are being forced to offer online. Right. Uh, he says, quote, millions of Americans, Americans are unemployed, unsure of how they will pay the bills or put food on the table. Yet several of your proposed fee increases would target supermarket and restaurant transactions 
as many more of those purchases have moved online. And then it goes on to say, just as increased vaccination efforts start to give our Main Street businesses hope for a summer reopening, your company's proposed slamming struggling merchants and by extension consumers with fee increases. Raising your fees would undermine efforts to help the economy recover and further reduce Americans' purchasing power. And then he takes a real like sort of patriotic, even more patriotic pose uh, position when he says, we urge you to call off these planned fee increases. Our nation is still reeling from the ongoing pandemic and your fees are more than high enough already. This is not the time to take advantage of your position to squeeze more dollars out of your fellow Americans. Wow. Yeah. Right. <laughs> well, and I think it's important for our audience that maybe doesn't understand the context here that, you know, understand that Visa and MasterCard, along with all of these acquiring, uh, I'm sorry, issuing banks, you know, these organizations are global in scope. They're not right. just in the U.S. Right. And so when you look around globally to see is Visa and MasterCard, are they making as much, Is there are their profit margins as high in other countries as it is in the U.S.? The answer is a resounding no. No. Why is that the case, Patty? <laughs> because they're regulated in they're those other countries. all regulated, all of them. I mean, right. I really think just, I mean, I don't know if they're all regulated or either. Pretty darn close. Or like in Canada, I don't know if they would call it regulation, but the government actually negotiates directly Correct. To, to negotiate rates for merchants. So Visa and MasterCard have this euphoric relationship here in the United States where there's just no regulation. I mean, you have the Durbin mm -hmm. Amendment. So Dick Durbin is the only guy so Out far there that regulated them at all. And he's probably about one of the only guys on the Hill who actually understands Right. How this works. And he's already gotten regulations through that significantly cut profit for the issuing banks. Now, not right. for Visa and MasterCard, really, but Correct. for the issuing banks. And <clears throat> so this is an individual who, again, understands that context and realizes that most developed countries have already regulated interchange down. And I'm talking about down massively. Massively. Like, what is it? Like one point. Uh, oh, it's crazy. I mean, in three, uh, I think, in Europe. Yeah, in Europe you have a point. You have twenty basis points and thirty basis points. Those are the two interchange fees in, in, in right. you know the EU. So uh, or the UK. I'm sorry. So you know. Right. Yeah, so anyway, long story short, this is definitely a guy who, when he sends you a letter like that, you, you know, better watch. You better notice. Wow. You think they're gonna, I, you think they're going to delay it though? I really don't think they will. I personally, I don't think they will. But I actually have calls into both Visa and Mastercard. They still haven't returned my calls, but that's and I'm not that's sure they, they will. They're still thinking about it, right? I now. think they're probably still thinking about it because, as you as you suggested, you don't want to get on Dick Durbin's bad side. He's oh. as the chairman of the Judiciary Committee. He could put through some significant legislation that would curb right. uh, interchange. Now, no, admittedly, Visa and MasterCard have lots of lobbyists, you know, in okay. Washington. They're very powerful as well. But right. and, I, and I think it should also be noted that like, so why would they do these changes? Because on the flip side of this, you have their shareholders that right. have already significantly increased their stock price. Oh, yeah. Because they knew that these changes were coming in April. And so they've already put that into the price. If they come out and say, we've decided to delay another year, another six months, their stock price is going to drop like a rock. Right. But their stock prices over the past year have 
risen pretty substantially. Right. I don't think they're going to lose ground over 12 months ago, but right. they're not in business to not lose ground. Well, exactly. And, you know, and, 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 and you know, in, in fairness, I, I must admit, I actually have a few shares of Visa myself in right. my portfolio. So, right. you know, so you, I understand. Okay. You're, you're okay either way. If they delay it, you're happy for merchants. If they go through with it, you're happy as a shareholder. Exactly. <laughs> uh, so anyway, but I do, you know, I, it's just really important to be aware of this because, you right. know, these are the types of bills, and I spent a lot of years in Washington. These are the types of bills that can get slid into, yes, you know, a massive what we used to call Christmas tree bill, yes. and you everybody's don't notice it. Up on the tree. <laughs> yep, everybody's putting something on there. Right. Yeah, absolutely. Well, it's very interesting. I'm sure you'll keep us uh, posted on any developments there. So I guess, Certainly well, it's will. coming up pretty quick. I mean, I guess we're going to know if they're going to implement it here in a week or two. So I think by the time this broadcast goes out, it'll be probably a week or. Yep. Um, or less. So, yeah. Absolutely. This episode of the Merchant Sales Podcast was brought to you by Valor Paytech, the technology company that is revolutionizing cash discounting and surcharging with innovative features like dual mid support, waive the fee options, and even adding non-cash adjustment charges to tips. Now, all of this is made possible by a variety of technology devices and solutions such as gateways, tabletop point of sale devices, and features like SMS text messaging and e-invoicing, all with cash discounting in mind. Valor Pay Tech, bold ideas, smart execution. Make sure you head over to ccsalespro.com slash valor, V-A-L-O-R, ccsalespro.com slash Valor, V-A-L-O-R. Schedule your free demo today and watch videos and learn more about this amazing technology solution. Thank you for listening to the Merchant Sales Podcast. Whether you are an industry veteran, processing executive, or just trying to learn about the payment space, we appreciate your time. The Merchant Sales Podcast is a joint production of greensheet.com and ccsalespro.com. And we hope you will tune in next week for more information and tips on building your merchant services business.